2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through to 20 has been our anchor verse. If you're joining us for the first time, uh, we've been in this collection of talks called Lines in the Sand. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through to 20 says this, For now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we've known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Today, as we continue on in our collection of talks, Lines in the Sand, I wanna speak to you from the subject outside the lines. Outside the lines. As we look at where reconciliation takes place. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We thank you for this moment to dig into your word. And I pray today that as we do so, you would speak to us right now, that you would teach us right now, that you would challenge us, you would mold us, shape us right now from the inside out. God, we are different. We are made different. We are made new in and through your word. And so I pray that you would do that right now. May your supernatural word supernaturally change us. So we need you right now. Speak, our ears are, are open and our hearts are ready to receive from you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen and amen. Uh, we've been on vacation for the past couple of weeks. Fooled you, some people text me and they were like, so great to have you back last week and I actually wasn't back. We pre-recorded that one. Um, and uh, so now you know our secret. But anyways, we've been gone. We just got back yesterday. Um, from two weeks of glorious vacation with the family. And uh, vacation's awesome. Everybody knows that. I know many of you are vacationing right now. Maybe you're watching from somewhere else in uh, the nation of the world. Shout out to you. But um, during the two weeks, there was a lot of different things that we did. But one of the things that I had the privilege of doing was coloring with uh, my kiddos. In particular, one kiddo. That was my three-year-old, Eliana. And, uh, and I didn't color uh, now that I just reframed this story, I just watched her color. That's really what I did in, in this moment. And uh, I tried to help her, but I remember one night she's sitting there and she has this big old piece of paper that she was coloring in. And if I'm honest with you, I can't really call it coloring. It was more like scribbling. And even at that, it wasn't even like scribbling. She was just taking the pen and the colored pencils and the crowns, and she was going across the whole entire page. And so I would go to her and I was like, oh, no, 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 we gotta try to color inside the lines, right? Like how many of you know that's the proper way to color? And so I was trying to show her how to color this little parrot, I think it was. And so she's trying to, and then all of a sudden she looks at me and she looks at the paper. She looks at what I'm trying to teach her to do. And then she starts going back out of the lines again and she's just scribbling all over the place. And I was like, baby, you don't, you don't do it that way. Like that's not how, parishes color we color in the lines right like we're orderly people we like you can do this nice and then shy was like yeah this is how you do it and l would not get it she couldn't like she was not computing this idea of coloring in the lines and here's what i here's what i noticed in the moment is that she was having more fun and she was more fascinated with and she was actually more engaged when she was coloring outside of the lines rather than just sitting there coloring in the lines. It was almost like it was boring to her. And this is what Paul the apostle would be asking the Corinthian church to do is move outside of the lines. 
As he would pen this beautiful yet pointed letter to the Corinthians, he would do this by asking each of them to see each other different than they had been viewing each other. He would say, we no longer view people, view ourselves from a worldly perspective. Come on, so that's good news right there. Paul was asking us a very simple yet profound question. He's saying, could you color outside of the lines? Because remember, this stretch of his, his letters connected to an issue that was taking place in this beautiful community, and that was division. And so he was saying, listen, some lines have been drawn and and, and they've made some boxes around things and here's what I need you to do. If you are going to engage in the ministry of reconciliation, I need you to color outside of the lines. I need you to step outside of the lines that you've been performing in, outside of the lines that you've been judging in, outside of the lines that you've created. I need you to step outside of the line. I need you to get a bit crazy and do some coloring outside of the lines. And here's the crazy part. When we get steep in religiosity, when we are called outside of the lines, it tends to look like scribbling. And we struggle with that. Church people struggle with that. Lines have been drawn and people were doing what they could do to stay within the lines that had been created. But Paul's proclamation of the ministry of reconciliation was one that included the very real need to move beyond the lines, to color outside the lines, if you will. Now, right now, I can feel the tension. So I wanna, before we go any further, I wanna make a qualifier, okay? We are not talking about a reshaping or redesigning of the gospel in order to do this. We have to understand that the the gospel has called us to color outside of the lines, to, to disrupt the status quo, if you will. Paul would talk about this. Don't, don't change things. He says, Galatians 1, 6 through 7, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel because there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So when we talk about coloring outside of lines, we're not saying that we're changing the Bible, we're changing the word of God. Actually, when we start to dig into this beautiful word to our lives, we start to realize that this is what Jesus did and this is what he's called us to. And for a lot of us, so many of us are afraid to address the issues that we are addressing in this series because we believe that in order to do so, we have to change the Bible. That we have to change theology in order to address the issues of the world. And that's actually not the case. This is what Jesus would do. Now, I've got to lay some groundwork, some significant groundwork before we move any further. But this is what what Jesus would do. What we are saying is that we have to look at the lines that have been drawn by hate and greed and unforgiveness and oppression and privilege and religiosity and like Jesus, begin to draw outside of them. We gotta step outside of the lines. And can I tell you something? This is what Jesus would do. This is the example that that Jesus would give us. So here's the groundwork. I wanna lay a biblical groundwork for us to kind of frame everything around and stand on as we get into some of these issues. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter five that Jesus would preach arguably one of the greatest messages that he would preach. It's become known as the Beatitudes of the Sermon on on the Mount. The the crowds would gather around him and he would begin to uh, speak this amazing message that would in effect, as you read it and as you study it and as you look at it, it was him drawing outside of the lines. Let me show you. We're gonna, we're gonna try to work through about 
uh, 48 verses really quickly uh, to, to, to lay this, this groundwork. But this is what we need. We need the Bible to set all this up, up for us. Sorry. Matthew 5, 3, two, 3 through 10, he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. He already stepped outside of the lines because people's perspective of what blessing was was not those who were poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called some God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Do you see how a line was drawn and Jesus was stepping out of the lines? He was saying something counter-cultural. And then he says, you're blessed when they insult you. How many of you got up today, went insulted and said, I'm blessed? He was drawing outside of the lines. Matthew 5, 21 through 22, he would continue on. He would double down on it. You've heard that it was said. Now he would say that you've heard that it was said. Verses, watch what he says. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother and sister is subject to judgment. What? Look at that again. Whoever is angry. Like you're like, I can get down with the do not murder thing. But now you're telling me that I'm subject to judgment if I'm simply angry with somebody. What was Jesus doing? He was stepping outside of the lines that had been drawn. Let's go further. You've heard that it was said. Some of this is gonna sting. This is Jesus speaking, okay? You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. What? That's, that's hard news right there. What was Jesus doing? He's saying, this is the line that you've created. I'm gonna step out of those lines and I'm gonna establish something else. We're gonna establish a kingdom line. Matthew 5, 31 through 32, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now it gets quiet in the room. Now, I, I wanna pause here for a second because if you get caught up in this verse, I, I, I cannot spend the time unpacking this particular verse right now the way that I would in our up and coming relationship series. So stay tuned for that. But anyways, sorry, little, little ad. So I want you, if, if, you're, if you're hearing this today and you've walked through the process of divorce, please don't, like, don't just anchor in on this verse that I just shared. What was Jesus doing? He was saying, listen, there was a standard, there was a line that was created, and then I'm gonna step outside of those lines and I'm gonna draw some new lines for you. I'm just trying to proof to you the type of lines that Jesus would step beyond, right? Matthew 5, 33 through 37, again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by earth, because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. This is what he says. But just let your yes be yes, and your no be no. New line. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one also. As for him who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow. 
from you. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He stepped beyond the lines that had been drawn in humanity and said there is a new way, there is a new kingdom, there's a different established order, and I'm calling you to live on that place. We gotta color outside the line. So here's the, here's the biblical framework that I wanted to lay down for us, and I wanna show us that Jesus was a disruptor of the status quo. I wanna show us that Jesus was a disruptor of the lines that had been drawn by humanity. And here's what I want us to hear today. The problem is that the lines that we draw in our humanity are usually drawn to justify our brokenness. And justifying is our attempt to reconcile what is in us that we have not submitted to Jesus. Last week we looked at this as we talked about the Good Samaritan and the lawyer who would question Jesus and there's this phrase in there, he says, he asked this question to Jesus, who is my neighbor, in order to justify himself, in order to reconcile in himself the judgment that he had pronounced on people, in order to justify in himself his behavior towards the people around him that he did not look like, that he did not sync up with, that he did not agree with. And so what we do so many times in our lives is we try to justify ourselves stuff in order to reconcile what's in us and we haven't submitted to God. Are you, are you hearing me today? And the lines that have been drawn, especially today, have become bold and volatile and ever more dividing. The lines have divided families and friends and cities and towns and workplaces, living rooms and, and churches. These lines have marginalized and erected even more visceral idols that have captured our allegiance and our worship, all while leaving us. Have you realized this and seen this? More fearful of each other, more fearful of the future, and more fearful of ourselves. And so what Paul and Jesus and the entirety of this beautiful gospel is inviting us to is to step beyond the lines. And I wonder if we can be those people. I'm wondering if we could be like my little daughter, Eliana, who sits at the table and says, I don't wanna draw in the parrot. I wanna draw all over the place. I wanna step beyond the lines that keep this gospel contained. I wanna step beyond the lines that keep my love contained. I wanna step beyond the lines and reach the people that God has called me to reach regardless of what I think or feel or see in front of me. The lines have been drawn. Now, before we talk about some of the lines that have really been drawn in our culture, in our day and age, I've been asked this question recently, like, do we really need to keep talking about this? Like, do we really need to keep talking about the lines in the sand? And the answer to that question is unequivocally, yes. We need to keep on talking about it. That's like asking if we should continue to talk about sin. Should we continue to talk about Jesus? Should we continue to talk about these things? Yes, why? Because if we stop talking, then there's actually nothing to listen to. And here's what I've come to realize is that the church in so many ways has found itself behind the conversation. And I'm just wondering if we can call the church and be the type of church that is in front of the conversation that says we are gonna dive headlong into everything that is in front of us and step outside of the 
lines. Can I get an amen online this morning? So let's look at four lines we face today. A lot of work, like I said. Uh, I just got back from vacation, so my word count is high. Um, so uh, lots to work through. So let's look at some, some lines really quickly that have been drawn. The first one is the lines of politics. Oh, we said it at church. The lines of politics. Jesus would enter into the fray of this conversation. John chapter 18, 36 through 38, watch what he says. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Hear this language, listen to what he says. If my kingdom were of this world, they would fight. Right? So that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You are a king then, Pilate asked him. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this. <laughs> I love that. I was born for this, and I've come into the world for this, to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And watch what Pilate says, what is truth? You know what I find interesting about this piece of scripture is that Jesus was offered the opportunity to give, church, or to give truth because he didn't engage in drawing lines that were political in nature. Like I said, as a pastor, this, I, I, I feel like maybe we should be tiptoeing around this subject, but I'm not going to. We're just gonna dive right into it because these are issues that we're facing right now. One author put it this way, and I quote, the spectrum of political parties was wide and multifaceted, including the Pharisees, the Essenes, the Zealots, the Sadducees, and even tax collectors. When Jesus established his kingdom on earth, he entered into this political fray. Who would he choose? What would be their view of Israel, of the Roman Empire, of their involvement in culture and government? They had at this time, Jesus' very disciples had at this time the same conversations and the same issues that we're facing right now. Now we're being identified by our political persuasion. That concerns me when I am now identified by my political persuasion rather than my kingdom connection. Come on, somebody, don't get quiet on me online. I want to be known as a Christ follower first and foremost. Why? Because I am a part of a kingdom that is not of this world. And I'm getting concerned that there's something that's happening when all of a sudden our churches are being identified by the political party that they swing more towards. Jesus chose among his disciples two in particular, Simon and Matthew, and they would rep represent the political spectrum in this day. Simon was a zealot. They were a political party that were both violent and rebellious towards the Roman Empire. Zealots operated with a terrorist mentality. Today, if we had zealots, they would be defined as terrorists. That's how, they, that's how they acted. And Jesus, Jesus would sign up Simon, who was a zealot. Imagine that conversation. Then he would choose, next to Simon, a dude named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector who would exact unfair taxes with a heavy hand over people like Simon. They were seen as enemies, bitter hatred. I want you to think about this. Jesus's PR campaign for the ministry cycle that he was about to go on with 12 dudes was comprised of two who absolutely unequivocally hated each other. 
See, many times, how many of you have done this before? We've, we've read about the disciples and, re- and everybody looks like they float around. Like they were these just awesome men. They were angelic in nature. Uh-uh, they were knuckleheads. And these guys came into their ministry moment more attached to their politics than they were attached to anything else. Imagine that uncomfortable introduction. Matthew meets Simon, Simon meet Matthew. You're gonna do ministry in close quarters together for the next three years. Have fun. What was Jesus offering? He was offering something that was outside of the lines. Simon, you identify as a zealot. Am I talking to anybody right now? Matthew, you identify as a tax collector. Can I just tell you when you're with me, we are kingdom. We are kingdom. Jesus was once again coloring outside the lines. He was trying to show these two politically impassioned men how he needed them to be. See, I wanna say this today, and please hear my heart behind this. Jesus did not come to represent our political party or persuasion. He came to represent a kingdom, not of this world. And I know the arguments, I've heard the arguments, I know all the stances on these different things. I just wanna let you know that when we submit simply to the lines of politics, we miss the kingdom that we've been called to be a part of. Did you know that we have Democrats in our church? We have Republicans in our church. We have all the other fractions and pieces of the political parties that are represented in the United States of America in our church. We have people who care so much about politics and then we have people that don't care about politics. And wherever you at, I want you to know that this is a kingdom church. This is a Jesus church. Our first line of allegiance is Jesus and that is unfortunately the world that we're living in right now stepping out of the lines. This is why I had to set it up all with Bible because I wanted you to know that I'm not just giving my personal dissertation on these truths right now. Here's the second lines. I'm gonna poke even more. Lines of nationalism. There's a difference between being a patriot and being nationalistic. And it's not a new concept or problem facing the church. Paul had to deal with this. Watch what he says, Galatians 3, 27 through 28. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ, clothed with Christ, clothed with Christ. There is then no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Watch what C.S. Lewis says, right? He says this in The Four Loves. He puts this matter of nationalism quite succinctly. He, He notes, that love of country becomes a demon when it becomes a God. And this is the issue that we are facing. Jesus, can we go deep today? Can, can you hang with me today? I know it's the middle of summer and you're like, can we just do a happy talk? Don't worry, we're gonna talk about relationships soon. But I need you to hang with me so that we can work through some of these things. Jesus faced this, watch what he says. Luke chapter 13, 34. Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. In G.K. Chesterton's work, The Defendant, a collection of essays, he writes this, true good patriot behavior lies in the ability to judge one's nation in its successes and its shortcomings. Nationalism will keep us from seeing the shortcomings. 
And when we run around, especially as kingdom-minded people, not assessing the shortcomings that are in front of us, not assessing the shortcomings that people have experienced, then we lose our ability and our credibility to engage in the brokenness that we've been called to jump into. So I've gotta step out of the lines that I can find myself in so I can be the Jesus-following person that I've been called to. Do I love America? Yes, but I love Jesus more. We're losing followers today. Jesus loved his nation and his country, but he was fully aware of what was going on in it. Right? Here's, here's, the, here's the problem. We've made Jesus, an American CEO, a self-help guru, and a life coach concerned only about our health, financial success, our budding ambition, happiness, security, and our American dream. And in doing so, he stopped being our savior and our king. <laughs> Go on vacation, Jason, they said. When we make Jesus a part of the lines that we've traditionally stayed in, we've robbed Jesus of the power that he's called the exercise in our lives. Lines of race is the third line. Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14 would tell this pivotal moment where a man named Cephas would come to Antioch and Paul would talk about opposing him because of this racial tension that was taking place because he would find himself sitting with certain people and then when his friends would come around, he would remove himself from the people that he was sitting with so he could show face. And so he was engaging in racism. He was engaging in segregation. This is what the New American Commentary writes about this subject in Galatians 2. It says this Antioch was far to the north of Jerusalem. It stood at the geographical and political crossroads of east and west, a veritable melting pot of diverse civilizations and cultures. Sounds much like our world today. Looking back from the distance of two millennia, we can see now that the controversy at Antioch was more than a clash between two apostles. It was a collision between two ways of being Christian. Paul was dealing head on with the same challenges that we are facing today when it comes to racial tension and divide. The lines in the sand that have been created, white and black and brown and everything in between, everything above and everything beneath, all the way around us, all the different races, all the different things, all the lines that are being drawn right now and all the boxes that we are stepping into. And I just wanna declare today as a church, the well is going to be a place where we step outside of the proverbial line I want us to understand that we're not operating to those lines. And so we can be the church that is called to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And there are people weeping right now. And as a pastor, as your pastor, I want to call us to be in that place. I want us to be the church that weeps with people. And you can't do that if we just live inside the lines. I wish you could see the stage right now. There's these like rubber mats. They have lines. That's what I'm looking at when I'm looking at the ground. Some of you are like, what is he looking at? I'm looking at these lines. And if you could see these lines, I think this is how we've, many of us have operated. 
We stay in our lines, check this out, and we try, to, we try to touch the situation over here, but I can only go so far because I'm held by the line. That's what I loved about Elle. She didn't even pay attention to the line. She's like, <laughs> And some of us are so concerned about the line, and I think we're so concerned about the line because we're afraid so much of what we're going to lose if we engage in what Jesus has called us to. But there's this really interesting thing that Jesus says. He said, whoever would lose his life would find it because you can run around trying to search for everything that you want and you will find that your soul is not fulfilled. But if you pursue the goodness of God, if you pursue the mercy of Jesus, then I'm gonna find everything that I need. I don't lose anything when I gain reconciliation the lines of culture, the lines of culture. In a recent article in Relevant Magazine, the author writes this, the problem is that in the context of American Christianity, where religious images are often absent, pop culture representations of the faith can become the formative symbols and images that a faith community encounters people begin to actually see Jesus primarily through the lens of materialism and pop culture, both of which, by their very nature, are constantly in flux. As a result, evangelical faith becomes faddish. Salvation is a style, and praise is a phase. Listen to this. When the church employs superficial symbols to communicate the gospel, the gospel can only take a hold of people on a superficial level. So you may ask right now, why are we preaching a message like this right now? Because as your pastor, we cannot be superficial. We cannot be tone deaf to what is happening in the world around us. And so right here in the middle of July with my pit sweating in this room right now because it's hot outside, <laughs> I need to let you know that we're gonna go deep and we're gonna continue to go deep because for so long we've just kind of stayed up here and we've got to go beyond the line. That's what I love about this series. It's what I love about the messages that have been preached. It's what I love about Pastor Andrew's message the other week and, and Pastor Erica's messages. And, and the whole idea is that, listen, we do not have a moment right now where we can just go thin on things. We are not of this world. So what happens when we step beyond the lines? And I wanna end it just really quickly. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on these because these points are really just, you can get them for what they are. But what happens when we go beyond the line? What happens when we color outside of the lines? What happens if we don't stay in the box? That's what I loved about this moment, this COVID moment, is that churches had to get outside the box. We've done some crazy stuff. We did the COVID Chronicles. You even remember that? That was like six weeks ago. And everybody's like, ah! Right, I was, and I saw it the other day uh, like on, on YouTube, and I was like, oh yeah, COVID Chronicles, we're gonna bring something similar back. We, we did outside worship, big old thing in the parking lot, crazy, we got all kinds of other ideas. Like all the things that we're doing, it's church outside of the box. Because in this moment right now, we are not called to color in the lines. Come on somebody, can I get an amen in church today? So here's what happens. When we step outside of the lines, when we color outside of the lines, this is what's gonna happen. We're gonna begin to see what has been divided, united. Come on. We're gonna begin to see what has been divided, united, all right? John 13, 34 through 35, here it is, friends. I give you a new command. You know what's interesting is that it's a new command. 
You would have thought somebody would be like, this isn't a new command, love one another. You would have thought that everybody had that thing down, that it would have come easy. Notice Jesus says, I give you a new command. So obviously the old wasn't working and we need to hear this again. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Watch this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Can I just say this in church today? Please hear this, it's not gonna be up on the screen. We can still love each other and disagree with each other. I have kids, it happens every day. <laughs> I, I, I agree with probably 10% of the decisions my kids are making right now. I have a different way for them, but guess what? It does not change the context of my love. It does not change what I feel about them. And we are entering into a world right now, we are in a moment right now where somehow if we disagree with each other or if we see differently, then automatically we don't love each other. And I just wanna let you know that there are people all around me that I actually do love even when I disagree with them. I love you, I love you, I love you. I may not agree with you and you may not agree with me, but we can still have coffee. Why? Because you can't, agree, you can't disagree with coffee. No one can, right? And if you do disagree with coffee, I don't love you. <laughs> so <laughs> We've been called to love each other, and this is what happens when we step outside of the lines, we begin to see what has been divided, united. You know what I love? <laughs> I love when I hear people coming to the well, and they're like, I don't even agree with the things that you're saying. I don't even believe in Jesus. I just love the people here. And I'm like, sweet, welcome to church. We're gonna talk about this as we, as we look at this interaction between Jesus and a woman at the well. I believe we're gonna do that next week. But we begin to see what is divided, united. Here's the second thing that happens when we color outside the lines, is we begin to see what has been wounded, healed. We begin to see what has been wounded, healed. First Peter chapter two. Verse 24 says this, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, <clears throat> we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you've now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And I think so many times we apply this scripture one-dimensionally. We simply look at it as like, oh, my physical healing. Like I've been healed of cancer. I've been healed from sickness. And, and that's actually a very one-dimensional approach to what his healing provides for us. And I actually believe that a lot of the, the wounds that we have right now in our world and in our lives, those are the things that are healed as well, not just physical ailments. And when we are healed, we no longer will wound people out of our woundedness. Because how many of you would agree with me? You've heard this before. Wounded people wound people. Hurt people hurt people. But when we find healing in Jesus' name, come on, somebody. Come on, wherever you're at today online, when we find healing in Jesus' name, we're actually then able to heal that which has been wounded. And here's the third and last thing, probably my favorite point out of this. When we color outside of the lines, we begin to see what has been lost, found. We begin to see what is lost, found. I um, 
have a portion of scripture that, I, I say this a lot, this is my favorite portion of scripture. This, honestly, story of the prodigal son is my favorite portion of scripture. Like if you were to ask me, Jason, like what is your favorite piece of scripture? I'd be like the story of the prodigal son and then the rest of the Bible, okay? So just for a qualifier, I want you to see this. If you don't know the story, if you haven't read this before, there's a young boy Jesus is telling a parable and there's this young boy and he says to his father, hey dad, I want you to give me my inheritance, which was a slap in the face at best to his father. By way of cultural protocol, the first line that this father steps outside of is he gives the son his inheritance. Talk about coloring outside of the lines. Think about this. The dad had no, like he, he was not required to to engage in this request, and so he says, here son, go for it, and then the son takes off, and after all this, he spends it all on all kinds of different things, and he finds himself destitute, and homeless, and poor. And one day he decides, hey, I'm gonna go back to my dad, because at least at my dad's house, I had three square meals a day, I had a roof over my head. And so, we're gonna jump into the story, because I want you to see another line that was crossed in order to bring what was lost to a found position. So the son got up, verse 20 in Luke 15, he got up and went to his father, and but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and so he ran and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring out the fatted calf. It's steak night here at the household and let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. The father was not required by law in that moment. He was not required by protocol call to go and receive his son in the way that he did. What this father did is he stepped outside of the lines. He colored outside of the lines and while the son was far off, he ran to him. And I want to call us to be the type of people and to be the type of church that steps over the line and runs to those in our community, runs to those who are lost and hurting and broken and marginalized and frustrated. Why? Because that's what it looks like to color outside of the lines. I never want to be the church that stays in the lines and says, well, make sure you've got it all together before you step into this place. Make sure, make sure you understand this theological point and this doctrinal truth and make sure that you don't say any four-letter words in our lobby. I love it when I hear four-letter words in my lobby. Most of them come from Pastor Andrew. I'm just playing, that's not true. That's, that's not true. It's really Seth. Let's be honest about that. It's Pastor Seth. It's Pastor Seth. You know, if you were in the building right now, this message would have included me jumping off of the stage <laughs> because these lines are, are bothering me right now. I wanna like, just, yeah! Why? 
because there's actually something inside of us that, that knows, like Jesus, it's the kingdom in us that says, come on, let's get out of the box. Let's reach the people that we've been called to reach. Let's find the people we've been called to find. Let's have compassion on people. Let's listen to people's stories. Let's hear where they're at. Let's understand their plight. Let's understand why, because somebody once did it for us and I am a product of somebody engaging in kingdom, not standing in a box. My life is the product of somebody stepping outside and coloring outside of the lines. That is how I found Jesus. And check this out. For the Savior, who everybody wanted to throw over a political party, Jesus stepped outside of the box that everybody put him in, and he died on a cross. His disciples were frustrated by it because he was stepping outside of the lines that he was, in essence, being contained by, that everybody was putting on him. And he said, no, 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 listen, the joy set before me. I'm gonna endure this cross, why? Because it's upon the cross, it's stepping out of the protocol, it's upon that cross that I'm going to set the world free. Jesus died for you and for me, and it was a product of coloring outside of the lines. And I pray today, that we will pick up our pencil and we will begin to color outside of the lines in Jesus' name.